Good day, nerds. This is Megan McCarthy Bianc. Today we're talking to Zoe Hanamakuda for her second Cantina Conversation. We're talking to her about God Slayers, which is the sequel to her first book, Gearbreakers. I was so happy to talk to her again. She's always a joy to talk to. Um, we chatted about what she did for the second book and how her experiences were different this time around and you know I encouraged her to keep doing what she's doing since she's so young and she's really early in her career. Uh, without further ado here is Zoe Hanamakuda. Okay we've got Zoe Hanamakuda here. Uh, welcome back to the Nerd Cantina. We talked to you last year about God Slayer or Gear Breakers now we're talking about God Slayers. That's going to be out on June twenty eighth. Um, Zoe, welcome back. I was very excited for the sequel, so I'm excited that um, you know we get to chat again. Yeah, me too. I, I like you're the first um, interview I've had where it's like I also did it for. Oh Gear yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, no, I was you know from speaking last time, I knew that there was going to be a sequel, but then when I got the opportunity to, to read it and um, interview you again, I was, I was very excited, especially cause I follow you on Instagram and I saw the book covers and I was like getting all excited about it. So um, yeah, this is super cool. How about we give like a little brief summary um, of gear breakers and as well as like a little summary, like, you know, Trump want to be spoiler free, obviously of um, God Slayer so that people can like, you know, follow along. Okay. Can I be spoiler for Gearbreakers? Yeah, I think it's fine. It's, it's yeah, been out for over a year, right? <laughs> yeah. So um, Gearbreakers starts out with, there's this controlling nation of Godolia. They pilot or they control and manufacture these 200 foot mechas that they've gotten their people to worship as CDs. So they kind of have like the people, they're people in like a, a religious, um, bond with their protectors so it's like really easy to get like set in their side um they have cyborgs who are teenagers who are piloting the robots and on the other side of things are the badlands which um Godolia reigns over with the robots um some people do worship them as gods and other people called the gear breakers are intent on taking them down from the inside so a cyborg named sona falls in love and meets or meets and falls in love with a gear breaker named eris and they end up developing this plan together in the first book to pilot or sona is going to pilot an archangel that eris's sister um a gear breaker named jenny she's like the mastermind behind the gear breakers builds an archangel mecca with wings to fly over godolia and basically take it off the map but what happens at the end of book one is that sona um the archangel is taken down by godolia's own archangel and um, sona and eris are stranded in godolia and there is a plan to um, put Sona through this corruption progress, which will basically rewrite all her memories of the gear breakers and of Eris and think of them as her mortal enemy. And so that's where we left off in the first book. In the second book, Eris and Sona have to find their way back to each other. I'm trying not to get too spoilery of it, but like, just like a tropolis, there's like found family again, because you have to reestablish that there's um, more mechas, uh, more mecha classes, more cities, like I expand the world building in it. I'm actually really satisfied with how it turned out. Um, there's also a masquerade ball scene and also like enemies that maybe are going to go through a redemption arc. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's it, it in a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, yeah, well, because with all the different, you know, because this book, you kind of take it, you know, you had to take it to the next level. And so there was really, really interesting how you got more creative with um, the robots, essentially, and, and the new types of robots. And then not just for land or air, you know, you kind of played around with different like machines and different environments that they would find themselves in and how they would, um, you know, some, some cool new battle scenes anyway. So were you writing the first book? Did you write them both together? Like at the um, same time? Well, one after the, no, one after the other, of course, but like, I actually didn't know I was going to be writing a sequel because of my first contract. We had originally pitched it as a, a trilogy or a duology or something. And my editor was originally like, no, let's do a standalone. And I was like, okay. But then she like read it over again. She's like, actually, let's do like a duology. Yeah. <laughs> That's fun. Well, I'm glad that, uh, you know, she gave it a shot and she decided <laughs> to let you flush, flush it out, take it take it um to the next level yeah because i was just curious as to like how this experience writing the uh second book compared to that of um your first book like Uh if you yeah yeah, like how were the were they a lot different like you know because i know the first time around we're kind of like still i mean we're still kind of on the tail end of a pandemic but Uh, pandemic was was really intense you know around that time too yeah. So, oh my gosh, I'm trying to remember when I was finishing this draft. It was definitely some part of it was in the pandemic because I just finished last edits at the beginning of this year. Um, but yeah, for Godslayers, I would say the whole process was overall easier. Like it wasn't easy, but it was easier than writing the first book just because I had all the characters already established in my head. So like I didn't have to spend as much time like going way back to the beginning and like fixing the voice with how I wanted it to be. Um, Cause I had already done that for gear breakers. Like the beginning is definitely where I like usually edit the most in general, but yeah, I feel, I feel like the editing process for God Slayers was a lot less like I'm pulling teeth. <laughs> yeah. like, very bad at editing. <laughs> I was just on a, on a panel for it and um, at Phoenix fan fusion and oh, okay. talking about like, yeah, like, you know, you get your edit letter from your editor and you're like, you don't understand my vision. And then like a week later, you're like, okay, like, okay. <laughs> so I got used to that. That's so funny. So you hate editing, but you were on an editing panel. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know anyone who like likes editing. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Okay. You're just being nice, I guess. <laughs> oh, that's funny. How was it releasing? I mean, you haven't released any other um, projects because it was like your debut. Did you have the experience go of like trying to rely on not rely on the audience, like of the readers of the first one? But was there like a different challenge too, or like any new lessons learned as you're you're doing the sequel versus um, the first one? Um, I think it was just like the like working with an editor and like kind of like that bigger aspect of it, like, or trying to like sink into like the creative side of things because I had other people who were like handling other stuff, like marketing wise, especially like, like a bigger part of it than I expected it to be. Yeah. (laughs) I look back at it, but I'm just like, I'm definitely like learning more on that side of things, like stuff that's past the creative wise. So I guess more of a technical answer for you. Um, Yeah. I think I am getting used to like stuff like this, like, 
um, doing interviews and stuff. And I say and stuff like so inadequately. <laughs> but I think it's just like getting more comfortable with just like this as my, I'm trying to do this as my career. I'm still in college. So that's like a cushion for me, but um, definitely just trying to like get really used to like where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. so period of, of um, college to try to cement that for me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, cause I think last time you were, we were talking about how your parents were kind of like, I mean, they're, they're being parents, but it's, it was kind of funny how you're like, well, yeah, by the way, I, I got a book deal. And like, yeah. Oh my God. You know? Yeah. It was, like a, it was like a long time ago now. It's yeah. Crazy. Yeah. It was, yeah, definitely now I'm like, oh, I'm just telling them like what I'm doing. And they're like, that's cool. I mean, it I is super know what cool. You're doing. Yeah. Now yeah. Like, right. I kind of do. Like, <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, see, it's real. And the second one's coming uh, out. Yeah. That's so awesome. At least, you know, they, yeah, I mean, you know, school's important and I'm all for education. Um, and as long as you've got a plan, at least, you know, because you've got, you know, you're you're fairly young, you're not done with college yet. You're you're just like kind of on the heels of releasing um, you know, the sequel to a really successful debut. And so, you know, you just want to keep that momentum going and yeah a healthy caution like right? <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> um so we kind of talked about it like your writing process um kind of the same throughout so like sona's journey is more complicated this time around you know she's got her memories and her her mind has been corrupted and heartbreaking you know like after all the trouble that um and all the bonding that she did and all the trouble that you know they went through um for the events of the first book and then only to have like that part of her that part of her experience like stripped away so like how did you develop or like get into that headspace about you know developing or or including incorporating and you know a character arc that like has that that mind scrambling experience, like kind of pulling, pulling the thoughts together. Cause we do the story. You tell the story mostly from, from Sona and Eris's point of view. So how was it getting into the mindset yeah. of writing from a point of view from someone who, you know, was, was corrupted, like on that basic like level. Yeah. Well, I sort of knowing like I wanted to do something like that, like corruption arc. I think I like them as much as like redemption arts, if not more. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, it is like, it was really, it was kind of weird because I'm like, I don't know like how far I can like take this believably or if I like, or how to make it really believable. Um, Even though it's like from her perspective, I like know that the readers know that she's not supposed to be like this. So it was more about like trying to see like if I could convince like the character, if that makes sense. Like it's almost like, I think I, I think because I was writing like that, like I was trying to get more in her head, like you do like as an author, right? Um, but I was definitely like having like, for example, what I found helps is that like when she does have doubts about her reality, like definitely like follow that line of thought in to like see if I could like make it seem as natural as possible as she would be in that headspace. In that headspace, um, what I really like tried to do. Cause like it was always a pet peeve of mine reading corruption arcs. And it's like, I always felt like there was too inherently like 
evil right away. Like, and I don't really like, maybe I'm just like a skeptical reader, but I was like, I don't think I would accept that in the personality of that character, like their personality changes, or that's what I've seen too often, I think is that their personality changes. But I really try to keep Sona's personality the same, except for like, how she was reacting to these, this information in her head that she thinks is true. So that's like, that's more like what I try to lead into her into I like really try to focus on the personality. And I think there was a point like that Eris, like Eris meets her again in this new state. And she's like, I thought she would be, I thought Sona would be completely different, but she's like the same person. It's just like now, like her loyalties are different, but she's like the same person. And she has like the same, like more morality, even mm-hmm. on the different side. And I think that corruption arc helped me like kind of accentuate a theme that I'm trying to put in the gear breakers duology, where it's like war is like very, it's like not black and white because it's all about perspective. Everyone thinks their side is right, but it just depends on like what you're born on, essentially. So I think I think writing her her corruption arc in the second book like helped me drive that home. And same with like the villain that's in it, like you can kind of get like his input through Sona. Yeah, and I like how you brought up how the war is and it helped you kind of flesh out that the war isn't like black and white because we do get some insight as to like because they have to find more pilots now you know and and then i i like how you got that insight as to like you know because they're interacting with recruits and they're interacting with people from the other side quote unquote and you know we get some insight from their point of view where it's like well where you guys are doing the same thing like you you know you're just on the other side and kind of also like you know these people the the recruitments they they have a pretty it seems like a pretty sweet gig like you know their families are taken care of they get to learn these new skills and you kind of the readers kind of understand like why they would you know go through that why they would agree to to do that it seems very you know attractive to go ahead and enroll and do all these things when you know from the gear breakers point of view you're like like what what are you doing like what are you talking about you're you know this don't you see all this you know like authoritarian like regime and blah 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 and the other people are like well yeah but this is like what we have this is what we have to do like to look out for ourselves type of thing and so i really liked how you know, we got to see more of the other people in the world that you built. And I really like that we got more, we got more Jenny. She's very, she's a little complicated. At first, she doesn't seem complicated at all. She just seems like this grump, like, you know, cold hearted person, like who's extremely like resourceful. And, you know, she does have like leadership qualities, and then um, once we get to know her more in this book, we you, you get to kind of understand a little bit more of like why why she is the way she is. And you, you, or the readers get to see a little bit more of her, which I really liked. So how did that um, was that a goal to like bring bring out more Jenny or maybe, you know, what other opportunities led you to to kind of give give readers a little bit more of her? Yeah, well, when I wrote her in Gearbreakers, I was like. 
that was like obsessed with her right away. Like that was the first time I've written like such a confident character. And I yeah. think even, like more on the meta side, like writing characters like that is like really good for my mental health. I'm like, yeah, it's like, it's, it's nice. I think it puts a good thing in my brain. So I was like, yeah. I just, <laughs> it has the flat elements, but also like pull up for me. I'll do it for me. Um, but I definitely wanted her to be like, it was just like a thing where I'm also looking back at Deer Breakers and I know it's like a book I wrote. I was on the younger side and I was like, I don't really want like there like some of the stereotypes they might have fallen into in the first book because of like my lack of um time doing this, I guess. Like <laughs> um I definitely wanted to like bolster that a little and kinda like make it my own like writing redemption art too. So I was like, I don't wanna make her character as like as like just just arrogant as it it was. Like I do wanna show those like cracks in her and like kinda like I also wanted to show like how she is really alike Eris and how they kind of kind of are the like they definitely have that like sister relationship or like that sister um, features of the personality that they share. But it's kind of like from different angles because they're, of course, different people. Mm-hmm. Um, I really wanted Eris to see her as well, like because maybe Eris is going into at least the first book being like, my sister is like a huge bitch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like she loves being a huge bitch. Like I can tell type of thing, but there's definitely like, I feel like I go more into the emotions, emotional side of Jenny, which I did appreciate. I felt like I rounded her character out more with like being, she's like very vulnerable and she does like, now I've had her like canonically um, struggle with depression. And I do give some little background on that. Um, not that like mental health like rounds your character or something. Yeah. <laughs> That's horrible to say. And then I would be like, ah, oh, I'm a round character or something like that. But I was like, I was like, I do need more. Like, I can't have her just be. It sounds terrible. I can't have her just be good. Like, I can't have her just be like so happy and confident. Like, we're gonna win and the, the like no one else really matters type of thing. I do need to like humanize her in that way. I just this is a character like I do really want to follow out and I think if I were to ever I always like entertain the thought in my head like if I were to do like an adult series in the world of Beauty Jenny yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I don't know if that's even possible but I like thinking about it <laughs> yeah no I think that would be super cool to revisit and doing like a almost like a yeah like where are they now type thing and but Jenny would totally be there's a lot that you could there's a lot you could do with that for sure. And even the beginning of the book, we see her, you know, carrying out justice. And it was just like, okay. (laughs) 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 But no, I I did like it because yeah, she's a complicated person and it's, you know, in the type of world that they're living in, there's almost no, some of her, her qualities are definitely um, useful (laughs) to say the least. So, like, there was, like, I guess it could be argued that there's, like, sort of, like, Stockholm Syndrome going on. Or she, you know, like, adjacent with Sona and, and Enyo. But, yeah, and it was, that was interesting because it's, like, well, it's because she's being corrupted. Like, does she know that she's being held against her will? Like, she doesn't. And then she starts to, there's all the, like, this brain corruption. And then she ends up, like, really caring about and really caring for him and it makes things so much more complicated and that's kind of like where we bring back to what you were saying earlier to type to kind of like get into the take that mind and and flush out other things like take take that kind of like the brain challenge of fleshing out 
Sonan giving her more of like a complicated story, but then also I like how that helped you flesh out the other things and look into other things. And so how did you like develop kind of like that Stockholm syndrome esque? You like kind of already talked about it, but there were, I guess there was just like that little corner that I wanted to explore of like, well, she doesn't know that she's being held against her will. She's just kind of all those strong feelings that she had developed for the gear breakers and for Eris. It's now like opposite. And it's now like, she's, she's willingly with him, but yeah. Yeah. I would say like how I'd like design corruption in the book is like, it's very technical. It's just like, they're literally moving around like empathetic elements. So like, she now fears the gear breakers instead of fearing like Adolia type of thing. Um, but I would say like the real like element that's outside of that. Um, so like maybe like the more natural Stockholm syndrome or something is that um, she's, she has this friendship with Enyo who's her captor and who's like facilitated the corruption and she doesn't know it. Um, the readers know it. Um, but he's kind of like, he's showing the side of, himself with her because he's like had her around long enough that he's like because like they never pretend like she didn't do the thing she did um it was all it's like it's designed like the gear breakers like corrupted her instead and that they made her like come and like kill Enyo's whole family type of thing but he has like so he also knows that's what she's done like he's not in the dark about that like she is or no like she isn't I guess um but there's still like they have a very close but toxic relationship because they kind of both like are demanding something of each other. Like they care for one another, but it's also like they're both like the most horrible people for the for the <laughs> other, and they both do the most horrible things to each other. But at the same time, it's like they are the only two. Like they're isolated in the city because Enyo from his place of power and Sona because she's like committed all these crime war crimes, of course. And they're ultimately like they only have each other basically and so like they kind of have to like bring a friendship out of that and then there does end up being like some kind of softness that like I was trying to say like inevitably like comes from knowing someone like knowing knowing someone I don't know if that's true if I'm just like romanticizing it (laughs) but I would say it was definitely like it's definitely like not a good relationship and they do speculate on that at some time like oh I like wish I met you like when there was no war type of thing because yeah everyone's a good person but i would say like they've been giving roles that make them have to be bad people to survive i don't want to i don't want to like approach spoilery territory (laughs) but i just yeah i thought it was so interesting and how you know yeah you had to give there was always two parts there's always two sides to to every story right and you know, you make the readers kind of almost feel sorry for him, which I think is really good. <laughs> it's a really important to kind of add that. I don't know if it's inner tor- turmoil for readers to decide if they like or hate Enyo, but you know, it's it's always good to add that little bit of like the extra something to think about. Because yeah, because Enyo becomes such a huge part of the story this time around, and he we get much more intimate glimpse into who he is as a person. And then um, it was just really interesting kind of like seeing his relationship with Sona kind of flush out, you know, he got, he definitely got soft with her too. Um, They got soft with each other. And I like that, like kind of toxicity that you brought up because it is like, it's that attachment that eventually they feel, but it's, this is not a good pairing. (laughs) (laughs) Just like, 
Yeah, or maybe like good pairing, but the context is so like messed up. That, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I can't. Because it's some kind of like normal world, I could see them like just being kids, like just being I know. young. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> you know and even some of the dialogue was so interesting too where it's like what is because sona was they were both kind of it seems like they were struggling with how to label their uh their affection for lack of better words for each other like they were confused about it i guess yeah because it was new to new to them that kind of camaraderie that kind of companionship and so so this is a two-part question so what were your favorite parts to write? And then what were like the most difficult parts to write? I don't know if I asked you this for the first book. So if you, if you want to think about it and you can, you can lump, lump the both of them in there if you want. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say, I guess this goes for both this first and second book, but like, just like designing the Mecca classes was something that really like scratch that like sci-fi lover part yeah <laughs> yeah so i thought that was really fun i really like naming the meccas too because they're like they're like named after like mythical features that um big features figures that are like supposed to be protective so it's kind of like yeah kinda, like world building and that because i'm like Ooh, there's like different sides but this side sees them as protector and this time side season was like terrifying type of thing so um that was that was really fun yeah definitely one of my favorites I like doing all like the sci-fi stuff besides that like the weaponry and like the modifications like that's that one that's just good fun like I have to get more like world building with that too so like yeah helps um and then and then you said the least favorite part or yeah or the most challenging part like what was the most difficult parts for you to write yeah, I would say overall, like, me as a writer, I have trouble, like, at least in the first couple drafts, like, balancing internal arcs and external arcs and trying not to, like, flood the reader with, like, development on both stuff. So, like, characters, I would say, I think it's shifted a little where, like, I used to have trouble with, like, having more internal character arcs, what's going on on the inside versus the world. But now I'm, like, now I, I think I do too much of the, or, like, my first drafts always have too much internal stuff going on that like I don't describe the world enough or what's going on. Mm. So I think I like I just like went too far in one direction so now I feel like kind of <laughs> back. I get a little I think I get a little better like cold drafting with every round like I need to edit less and less. I don't know if that's actually true. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you know, that's a common that's a common struggle I think that um, you know, all writers have when I ask them, I like, I just like to ask that question because it gives insight as to like, usually the, the more difficult parts are the ones that require, well, sometimes they're like the least sensational bits where it's like, maybe you have to pace, slow the pace down. And it's like, well, you don't want to make it just like unnecessary filler or, you know, just that process of like collecting the details, doing the research, making sure that you make sense with your world building and stuff like that. So yeah, it's, you know, um, going back to your love-hate relationship with the editing, that's also very common too. <laughs> like for other authors, they feel the same way where, yeah, you know, you just have to trust the people involved and yes, it's your baby, but you also just have to like, try not to be too, too attached to one specific thing, unless there's like a real, like, you know, reason behind it. And it's, you're not alone <laughs> yeah. in that, in that um, process and that, and that part. 
So just a couple more questions um, before we wrap up here. So what advice would you give to Sona, to Eris, to Jenny, and to Enyo? Ooh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would say, um, oh, that's hard. Or it's not hard. It's just I have never thought about it. Ever. <laughs> um, mm, I would say for Eris, I'll start with Eris because the first thing that comes to mind is just like she really needs to like take a deep breath before she <laughs> does anything like drastic. Like there might not be time for it on the battlefield, but like she's like she always she's always rushing headlong into things, and like it does. It's like she's fine, right? But like it's uh, <laughs> she, like it's good to, good to take a moment sometimes. I think. Um, <laughs> um, I would say for Enyo, like he really like needs to think of himself sometimes because like his whole position is that like how I really try to contextualize the gray sides of war is that like he's like he's born and then he's immediately like his destiny is to be handed like a city of a billion people and like it's like okay keep them alive but like yeah you're gonna do that at other people's expenses but like this is your population so like right you're responsible for them even though it sounds terrible i'm like sometimes you just and you know sometimes you just have to like you just have to think of yourself because you're your life <laughs> like yeah yeah important <laughs> too. um hmm I would say for Sona, like, I would say for Sona, it's just, like, be gentle with herself because she's always, like, it's, I think she has, she suffers more of the self-criticism than um, any of the other characters. Like, she's always in her head like that. And she's always, like, weighing the moral reasons. She's always, like, she's always, like, worried that she's selfish. Like, eventually, like, she kind of tilts in the other direction of, like, really, like, taking space for herself or kind of, like, she feels guilty about, like, everything she does. And I'm, like... Don't do, I'm like I'm saying this like I'm not the one writing her. <laughs> it's like yeah, going through it, it's okay to like leave space for yourself like that. A little guilty about things that have to happen type of thing. Yeah, um, and then I would say for Jenny, like just get a she needs more sleep. <laughs> she's like <laughs> and doing stuff on caffeine, and everyone's like she's like not good, and it's like really obvious like i write it sometimes where she's like just very clearly like off her rocker because she hasn't slept um mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. lay down for eight hours or something <laughs> it'd be funny <laughs> yeah and it but you know she wouldn't take any of that advice anyway oh, no. she'd be like what are you talking about like yeah. you know <laughs> like winners don't sleep like i feel like she's just that the toxic part of you know hustling <laughs> like being a hustler you uh, know like obsessed academic and her just like machinery which i kind of yeah. like yeah <laughs> yeah right there you go there you go it's kind of like kind of juxtaposed here like yeah because she is she's a human but she's very like she jenny does kind of think in black and white she's like nope this person was a traitor nope yeah, yeah. we're we're all done here or uh yes we're going into this i'm not taking a no for an answer like this is what i'm yeah. doing you can't stop me you know there's no yeah and so yeah. i thought that was kind of cool to like we got to see more of her and more of her attitude and uh, we i think in a world like this you need a jenny at least one <laughs> to get I, things I love, done i love writing jenny it's just like it's just like her main character trait, I feel like, is that she knows exactly what she wants type of thing. 
and then she does it. Um, I feel like I always know what I want, but I always like am second guessing it and then not. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> I'm like, I need to write more Jenny and be more Jenny. Right. Yeah. Maybe you need to take advice from Jenny every once in a while. <laughs> like just do it no but that's so common though (laughs) I I would say it's okay to second guess yourself but there are also times where it's you know where it's where it's good not to you're just like take yourself seriously you know almost fake it almost fake it fake it till you make it but that's there's truth there's truth to that for sure Um, yourself seriously that's yeah Yeah, I actually heard uh, it was advice from another author would she uh yeah so it was like you know what advice would you have to other people like aspiring to be the same thing because she wrote a memoir she's like no take yourself seriously because if everybody it, if you take yourself seriously other people will take you seriously and I'm like yes like I need oh, yeah, that yeah. in my life like thank you for that piece of that little tidbit of of, of advice um Oh, did you guys, did you have the same like um, artist for both covers? Cause they like match perfectly. Yeah. I did Francis. I'm really happy. Especially since um, both characters are on the spine now. Like Sona's on God Slayers and Eris is on like, Gearbreakers. Seeing these side by side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. No, I just love how the, the covers, both of them looked super cool um, and very, it, it, I feel like it, it really like, gave an accurate feel of of the yeah, book the, yeah. yeah one is a lot i really like i like it down to like the font that they use for them <laughs> it makes it feel like a comic book which i'm obsessed with honestly like yeah yeah that could be okay so like yeah do you have any other future projects going on um or you know what's what's next on your uh on your to-do list um yeah i'm writing i'm trying to like write fantasy horror i wrote this alice in wonderland fantasy horror retelling meets like attack on titan and it's really really violent so we'll see where that ends up um, <laughs> like, yeah i like stuff in the works for that um and then i'm trying to like oh, i tried to draft contemporary and i rewrote this one thing like five or six times i'm just gonna show it for now so i'm like we're gonna more fantasy horror I'm trying to do like a like a snow white necromantic retelling type of thing but yeah i'm really trying to like I love sci-fi, but I really want to try my hand at fantasy. And I'm kind of like, I kind of genre blended with Gear Breakers because there is like that fantastical side. Yeah. I really like fantasy horror, like kind of like Witcher tone <laughs> stuff. Like it, it's really fun. It's just like, it's really, really fun. It, it <laughs> can be. Yeah. Like the gore or, you know, yeah. putting, putting your characters through very un unfun situations that could be fun for you <laughs> yeah, yeah. have you heard of um so paula garan i've interviewed her a couple times she uh collects and creates anthologies of short stories and the it's called the year is best and she in the past she's mostly done like the dark fantasy and horror so yeah. i don't know if yeah it's like the year's best dark fantasy and horror horror, and then there's like volume one volume two but then she does but she does like one for each year and so but it's just something um that i would recommend if you like want to still like play around because i don't know if like you know you have a process of like if you read a lot to get ideas or to get in the headspace um to kind of see where like that dark fantasy or like that type of genre 
um, like fantasy and horror, like what, where that would go. And so I would recommend reading some of Paula Garan's um, stuff that she, it's other writers that are writing the short stories, but she collects the stories and puts them together in volumes. And I thought I never read dark fantasy before. And so when I started reading these, I was like, Oh, actually I kind of like these, like I could kind of, kind of dig it. You know, I think even looking at Gearbreakers, I like think that that would have been so cool to do as a, a comic book or a graphic novel. And so, yeah, I just didn't know if that was like somewhere in um, if you've got your sights in yeah, the near future. Like, yeah, um, there, I have um, Goodreads pulled up. Right now. Okay. <laughs> Paula Duran. Oh, Guran. G-U-R-A-N. Oh, Guran. Yeah. So, OK, awesome. Great. I love this. Yeah, I love the short stories, too, because the short stories, it's not like you can just kind of like pick it up and put it down when you're done. You don't have to, like, yeah, yeah. remember a plot. Or like anything. Oh, yeah, exactly. I'm uh, I don't know if you've seen Love, Death and Robots on Netflix. That's my favorite. Like, I think it might be my favorite TV show, but like, I think the anthology mode is so like it's so underrated. I like would love to my teeth on an anthology one day like to be a part of some of anthology yeah <laughs> there you get there you go yeah get you know get your brain flowing get the pen on paper or go get to your keyboard and you know because you never know even just to have it even if like because yeah you never know if some stories in your head might be better suited as like a short story okay. or yeah like just figure out what um avenue it's it's best told you know you could best tell your story but yeah um you know i this second book was so cool um you know you took it you took it to the next level and i I really liked a lot of the choices you made and how we got a little bit more insight into um you know the characters and also uh the technical side of things, the sci-fi side of things. Um, but yeah, so we, Zoe Mahamana Makuda, God Slayers is out June 28th. Correct. I just said, I have it in my notes. Yeah. All right. Got it. Got it. Yeah. June 28th, God Slayers. Um, go read Gearbreakers if you haven't. Um, thank you once again. Super good to see you again and chat with you again. And I'm going to keep an eye out for your name because I'm excited to see, uh, you know, where your career takes you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was so fun again. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And there you go. That was Zoe Hanamakuda talking about God Slayers. Uh, It's coming out June 28th. You can check out Gearbreakers right now before you read the sequel. Um, As always, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. And you can check out, if you want to follow her on social media and stuff, you can check out the show notes where there are links to uh, find her. If you want to learn more about the books, you can check out my reviews and thenerdcantina.com. Otherwise, stay tuned for more book reviews and more Cantina conversations by yours truly. Thanks for listening.